all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hello, welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. Here with our producer, Jay White, and our phone answer, Jared Hallman. And we're waiting for your calls about anything on your mind that's medical. <clears throat> we are at one 672 All our lines are open. Please don't wait till the end of the program when everybody calls and we don't get to everybody. So last week, I tried to straighten out the flu uh, vaccine story, which is pretty complex. As I explained, there are two types of flu vaccines. Uh, one is the trivalent, which has three uh, species of flu in it, and the second is the quadrivalent. And I got an email from a very good physician who says, uh, several of our employees uh, listened to your flu talk this week, and I think they misinterpreted your recommendation. Some are saying that you comment that the quadrivalent flu vaccine should be given for everyone, even 65 years or older. We offer high-dose flu vaccine for employees who are 65 years or older and think that this is better. And uh, so let me just go back over this again, all right? If you are uh, uh, a person in the United States and you are uh, six months of age or older, um, then there is a strong recommendation for you to get a flu shot, okay? Uh, Some of these flu shots are limited to people 18 through 64. Some of them are approved for people uh, 18 years and older. Some of them uh, are approved for people four years of age or older. And uh, so which one you get is going to be determined, first of all, by your age. And uh, and the recommendation is that, you know, that you, you get one. And certainly for all adults. And the pediatricians will help uh, sort of... Um, work this out for the kids because it's a part of their uh, immunization uh, schedule. So the advisory committee uh, uh, for immunization practices recommends annual flu uh, vaccination for everyone six months and older with either an inactivated influenza vaccine or a recombinant that's made in a laboratory type of vaccine. So if you are 65 and older, you have an option, not a requirement, to take a stronger, quote, unquote, flu vaccine. And there are two of these, okay? There is uh, the double dose uh, of the three, the trivalent, or there is a quadrivalent uh, that has... um, um, uh, is also available, but does not have uh, the double dose. There is also a trivalent, not just the double dose, but another one that has adjuvant in it, which is something that supposedly makes it uh, better. The the double dose and the adjuvants are going to have more, more side effects so far as uh, lumps and bumps. They're not going to be serious. And there's a lot of reason to think that they are better for people 65 years or older because uh, those folks don't make antibodies as easily as younger people. And they're generally recommended. And the one that is most commonly available is the double-dose trivalent. Uh, The data out there do not show that although these 
these double dose ones generate more antibody that they generate better protection than the standard dose. The statistics just don't work out. So if you're if you can't get the double dose wherever you are, <clears throat> then get some dose because some dose is better than none. The other thing I said that bothered a lot of people last week is is that the flu shots are not far from perfect. Uh, depending on what year you're looking at, uh, they they uh, block people getting the flu about fifty percent of the time or a little more. So why take them if it's a coin toss? Well, the reason is is that if you have been taking your flu shot all along, more likely than not, you will get a super response to it because of a recall response in the immune system that will bump up any previous shots you've had, uh, antibodies to various uh, flu uh, vaccine components, and the ones from this year. So we're recommending that everybody get this. Only people that uh, just about nobody is excluded. There's an egg. There is a um, a recombinant egg-free trivalent this year for people who have egg problems. And uh, so you, you just talk to your pharmacist if you're getting them there, your doctor, and hopefully your doctor is clear on this. And if you get confused, send me an email. I'll try to sort sort it out. But this is very important. True, the uh, flu uh, it usually peaks, uh, you know, around the holidays or after February, January, February. True, it would be best to wait till later to get it because you'd have a higher response. But also true, there's already flu out there. We actually had a patient die of the flu during the summer. So it's around all the time, and uh, you want to stay immunized. And starting now, uh, you ought to be strongly considering getting your flu shot. And I will talk more about that if you want to know know more about it, but I think that's pretty much it. So uh, I hope that I didn't confuse more people. But there are so many of these different vaccines made by different manufacturers it is confusing, and what is usually available is what your provider bought. He or she, drugstore, whatever, didn't buy one of each. That's just, they're just not available because they're so expensive. So I hope that's helpful. Let's go to Beaumont and Sue. Hey, Sue. Hi, how are you today? I'm better since you called. I'm going to ask you a, a question. You're, I want your opinion about something, okay? Yeah. I have a daughter who is determined to have this gastric sleeve, S-L-E-E-V-E. Yep. Gastric sleeve surgery to lose weight. And and I'm I'm just against it. I'm, I'm horrified because the, the surgeon he's going to do, I, I shouldn't mention his name, right? No. Okay, well, he, he says that there's no five-star hospitals in Mississippi, so he can't do it in Mississippi. So his clients have to go down to uh, Slidell, Louisiana to get surgery. I know that's not true. I know there's some hospitals in Mississippi that could where he could perform that surgery, but he doesn't. But anyway, so what what do you think about that surgery? I'm, I'm telling her that uh, it doesn't mess around with your stomach, interfere with your formation of B12 vitamins and all that. Okay. So let's just drop back, take a deep breath, and talk about this. Uh, number one, the place to start is does she need it in the first place? And if she is morbidly obese, she fits that diagnosis, or if she is obese and has diabetes or heart disease or other problems, um, uh, or morbidly obese with other problems, then it needs to be strongly considered because it is the only foolproof way to lose weight. And if you go to a bariatric program and there is an excellent one on the coast mississippi coast excellent uh we have an excellent one at the medical center i don't know what he's talking about five-star hospitals the five-star hospitals or whoever uh, filled out the forms and uh, played the game best to be listed uh, some of them deserve it some of them don't uh, and there's a good program, I know, in Tupelo, and there are probably others uh, below. What is a good program is a uh, surgeon who has had specialized training in bariatric surgery because it is, it's, uh, it's, there's a lot to know medically 
and uh, surgically. So that's the first thing. Is she a candidate? Number two, I've answered. You don't have to go anywhere. You can go to go to us. You can go to that large bariatric uh, uh, clinic on the coast. You can go to Tupelo. You can go other places. You can go to New Orleans, wherever you want to go, uh, as long as uh, you know the scoop on the clinic. And the questions to ask uh, of the surgeon are, how many do you do? What is your uh, complication rate? Uh, and are you a member of the Bariatric Surgery Association of the American College of Surgery? So those those are the sort of the key questions. And then you can ask uh, for references or whatever else you know, because not everybody should be doing this surgery. That should be their major focus because you have to do these every day to get good at it. So the gastric sleeve is much less invasive than the older Roux-en-Y, which is the one that you hear about with all of the complications. The Roux-en-Y is where they reconnect the whole plumbing. The gastric sleeve is basically they just cut the stomach uh, down in size, and they also cut off a piece of the stomach that is somewhere, somehow involved in the whole satiety being full mechanism that is also helpful uh, in retaining weight, uh, the, the, the weight loss that occurs. The gastric sleeve has, in my opinion, the least complications of any of these, even the gastric banding, because every patient I have that gets that, the band doesn't work or something happens and I have to go in and do something to it. So it's basically a procedure where they go in endoscopically uh, through a bunch of holes in your stomach and suture up your stomach and uh, cut off the part that they have uh, uh, sutured through and give you a smaller stomach. And it does have side effects. Anytime you do surgery, there are risk of complications. In this particular one, they are low. The problems is what do you do? after you get the surgery because if you eat like you used to you'll throw up or get sick at your stomach and uh, that's how it works i mean basically this stomach the new stomach doesn't accommodate as much food as the old one did and people have terrible habits eating habits uh, that that uh, that got them in this place in the first uh, in the first place and uh, so they have to adjust. That's why before you have bariatric surgery, number one, you have to, in a center, the kind of place you want to go, you have to go through counseling. You have to have a, a psychological evaluation. You have to try to lose weight on a diet and demonstrate that you can at least, uh, you know, handle a diet, even though you you uh, have previously failed them. And, and they're not asking for a whole lot of weight loss 10% are usually to demonstrate that you have the willpower to stay on the diet you have to get on after you get the surgery because you can't eat everything. Some things will make you sick. So once you've jumped through all those hurdles and had the surgical evaluation, your risk is very low. So if your daughter uh, is obese, this is certainly an excellent thing to consider uh, especially if you have obesity complications already, and it is much lower uh, risky than the other one. Uh, Sue, did I get close? Yes, I, I, was, I tried, though, to talk her into going to Weight Watchers first and try it that way. Yeah, well, that's that would be good. Has she been on lots of diets? No, not really. Oh, well, yeah, well, I think that would be a good thing. When they mess with your stomach, doesn't that interfere with the metabolism of B12 or the formation of B12? No, it's your... the other one that screws up the B12. Now, anybody who's on bariatric surgery because of their limited diet during the first couple of years, we follow zinc, copper levels, B12, folate, and so forth, and their own supplemental vitamins. But the other one is the one, the Ruin Y is the one that was such a big problem with the B12 and stuff, so no. How's that? Your opinion there. It's an opinion, you know, take it for what it's worth. And your advice, I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate you being honest about your feelings, and you love your daughter, and she's lucky to have you for a mom. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's go to your house. You need to call us at one eight seven seven 
672-7464. We have open lines, and we'd love to talk to you about whatever's on your mind, medically or otherwise. If you don't call, I'm going to bore you with conversation with myself that you don't want. So give us a call. I'm alone and lonely waiting for it. Let's go to Louisville and Jerry. Hey, Jerry. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. What's happening in Louisville? Oh, man, that's much beautiful down here. Is Lewis up there or down there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. What's your question? Uh, I got a nose problem. I, every morning, my nose, my left side of my nose, itch. And yeah, I, I can get through it. I, I sneeze about five or six times. What's, what can be the cause of that? Just one side of it itches? Yeah, yeah, just one side of the itch. And I, uh, I can be eating something. I can feel it coming. You know, he'll sneeze about five or six times. Can't, do you have good air flu, airflow through that side of your nose? If you if you put your finger on the left side of your, it's the right side that itches or the left side. Left side. If you put your finger on the right side of your nose gently and close that side off, do you have good airflow uh, through the other side, the no, bad side? No, the bad side ain't. ain't no, uh. Uh-uh. Nothing's coming out. No air. It's coming out, but not not good on the right side. Okay. So uh, the first thing you have is nasal obstruction. How long have you had that? Oh, it's been going on about maybe about a year. Uh-huh. Do you have yeah. sneezing, itchy eyes, and runny nose uh, in the spring and fall? Uh, itchy eyes sometimes. Uh-huh. Like I said, it, I mean, I, I used to cut grass. Yeah. I, had to stop, I, I stopped cutting grass because it got, you know, bad on me. What, what bad? What kind of bad did it get on you? Uh, maybe sneeze, like I said, maybe sneeze and okay. stuff like that. So what's going on, I think? Now, let me just tell you why I was asking all these questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you a smoker? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, the big thing that we worried about when somebody has decreased airflow in their nose is mm-hmm. whether or not they have a cancer, uh, a ball of cancer in their nose causing the obstruction. Now, since you have had this many years, uh, and uh, it's no different, and you're not blowing blood out of your nose, that is improbable. But you need to stop smoking anyway, because that makes your nose terrible. And that's a whole other discussion. If you want to stop, we can talk about it. But let's go back to your nose. You have also allergic rhinitis, which is allergies that involve your nose and your eyes, okay? Mm-hmm. And frequently, um, either a pill like uh, Allegra or Zyrtec, both of which are generic and cheap, mm-hmm. uh, will get rid of the problem. And the nice thing about the Zyrtec, also called Cetirazine, is you mm-hmm. only have to take one a day, one at night, and it usually is it hangs around a whole day. Now, in your particular situation, and that's that's sometimes what we try first with people who have eye itching. In your case, your nasal obstruction is so bad, I think you're probably going to need a nose spray. And there are a whole bunch of these steroid nose sprays available over the counter that don't give you any side effects and are very, very effective. And... Uh, So what you need to do, and I would use that first and see if that alone takes care of the problem. And uh, so Flonase is one of them, Nasacort. There are a whole bunch of them. And then there are the generic ones. But the price, the way they price these things is slippery. Sometimes the uh, branded is cheaper than the drugstore uh, generic. And depending on what day of the week and who's got their hands on the cash register, you really have to uh, look at how many ounces you're getting and how much it costs per ounce to decide which one to buy. They're all equally effective. Most people end up with Flonase, uh, which is fluticasone, but there are a bunch of other ones. And basically use two sprays of that in each side of your nose twice a day. And if that doesn't fix it, uh, or and that that will help your eyes a little bit, but not completely. But if that doesn't fix it, 
what you need to do is you need to go to your primary care doctor and have him look in your nose uh, and make uh, make a uh, uh, make sure there's nothing growing in there. Uh, if you want to go cut grass again, you can go to an allergist, and I recommend a board-certified allergist, uh, a internal medicine or pediatric allergist, uh, and have and and get allergy shots, which we do in many people who have occupational allergic rhinitis, like folks who are in landscape and so forth, like you, and uh, and that gets rid of the problem in ninety percent of people. So. Uh, I would start with the with the nose spray. If that doesn't work, I'd add on the pill. If that doesn't, on top of it. And if that doesn't work, you need to see your doctor to make sure you don't have something in your nose. And if that doesn't work, you probably need to see an allergist. How's that? Okay, sounds good. Do Do you get what I'm talking about? I got you. You don't get itching usually if you don't have allergies. It's unusual to have a cancer in your nose that itches. I mean, that's almost always allergy. And why you're doing it in only one side of your nose, I don't know. It may be mm-hmm. that most of the airflow in your nose comes through that side and you get the highest exposure, this little pollen granules that are floating around the air. But anyway, that's the best I can do on that. Okay. And if you want some information, I'll send you a uh, patient handout on allergic uh, nasal problems if you send me an email at southernremedy.mpbonline.org. Good to hear from you. Let's go to your house. If you give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, we have open lines. But before we take your call, we're going to Mobile and talk to John. Hey, John. Oh, hello, Doctor Rick. How are things in Mobile? Ah, they're okay. Sunny, humid. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's new? Yeah. Well, I tell you, I think Mobile and uh, the Gulf, Mississippi Gulf Coast, and the Florida Gulf Coast are probably some of the most underrated, wonderful places to be and to visit in the U.S. And I've had the good fortune to go to a lot of places, and Mobile is one of those that just doesn't get its due. Yeah, it is. A lot of good things uh, starting to happen here. Right. Um, I had a question about something that's been happening with my skin, uh, particularly on my hands, uh, about for more than three months now, uh, and I'm not sure if it's getting better or worse. Um, I seem to have these eruptions on the fingers, which uh, mostly on the fingers, which makes uh, the hands, especially my left hand, uh, and I am left-handed, look kind of all chewed up. And um, I don't know what it is. It starts off with little uh, pinpricks that are irritable, and I can see that there are a couple of them wanting to come up now already. They're very itchy. I scratch them. They turn into sores that linger and mm-hmm. just make the whole hand look, you know, terrible. Okay. Um, this is uh, this comes under the category of <clears throat> hand dermatitis, of which there are multiple causes. The fact that you're having so much itching means that it's either an allergic cause or it is getting infected with something uh, that is making it itch. Do you have a primary uh, lesion? What pops up first? Is it a blister or a bump or just an itchy spot? Or what is the first thing that shows up? Oh, you mean on on each of these? On yeah, on your hand on your hands. What are the, what uh, of each of the different lesions? What is the primary one? The one that shows up first before you start scratching it? It it seems to be a uh, kind of a bubble, mm-hmm. and I've even looked under it, uh, looked at it under a magnifying glass, and it looks the the skin at that spot. It's it's very small and concentrated. Mm-hmm. It looks kind of spongy mm-hmm. under the magnifying glass. Okay, well, if it's a blister, is the primary thing that's on your fingers. It's usually a condition called dyshydrosis. I hope it is not that because dyshydrosis is tough to manage. About the only thing that really works on it uh, is steroids, and it tends to be chronic and you have to use them a lot. 
Um, the fact that it's so generalized and itches a lot suggests that it may be a contact dermatitis. Are you a gardener or do you wear rubber gloves or uh, work in a shop and come in contact with any chemicals? Well, like oddly, this, uh, I seem to notice this start, and actually this back in January, it seemed to start around the ankles. Uh, and you'd scratch it, uh, take the shoes off, and there'd be a little irritation. Mm-hmm. Scratch it a bit, and boom, it, it was like a, uh, an explosion of itchiness. Hmm. And so I saw the doctor about it, my GP, mm-hmm. and he prescribed, um, what is it, triamcinolone right. as acetonide cream. Right. And um, what's it called? Um, Aquaphor? Uh, uh, no, it, it was a, a, a panel, of, a seven-day panel of pills. Oh, yeah, a Medrol dose pack. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that cleared it up? It seemed to clear it up. And then it came right back? Uh, yes, but not so much uh, not so much on the legs. Um, Do you have allergies, hay fever, asthma, anything like that? I used to. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Back in back in the eighties, it was bad. Uh, since then, it abated, and now it seems to be kind of coming back. Okay, I'm going to give you something to do, and if it doesn't work, you got to go see a dermatologist. That's the only way I can sort out of the radio. If you will get some one percent hydrocortisone ointment that's a strong sometimes you can get two percent over the counter but usually it's one percent and uh you want to get the ointment not the cream okay and uh if you will uh put that on your hands at night and wear not a rubber glove but a plastic glove like you get at uh, the big box stores to paint uh during the night that will bump the do you do you have any of that triamcinolone left Oh, yeah. Uh, in fact, the doctor gave me a uh, pretty much open prescription until... Oh, okay. Uh, well, forget what I just said. So take the triamcinolone uh, and mix it half and half with CeraVe, C-E-R-U-V-A-E, uh, which is over-the-counter. It's a moisturizer. And, uh, and what you can do is the CeraVe comes in a one-pound jar. Did you get the one-pound jar or a uh, something else? Uh, these were two. Uh-huh. Okay. So mix the, mix the tube, whatever volumes in the tubes that you have, with an equal amount of CeraVe, uh, and, uh, which makes it go in really good. Uh, and what you can do is you can put that in a jelly glass and stir it up with a fork or a knife or whatever you want to. And then uh, two or three times a day, put it on your hands. And at night, for the first several nights, put it on your hands and wear gloves. And that causes better absorption. And see if that gets it under control. If it does, it is for sure a hand eczema. And if that controls it and you're happy with it, uh, that's okay. If not, you're going to have to go to a dermatologist. They're going to have to look at it. Uh, they'll probably have to do patch testing for contact dermatitis to see if it's something in your environment uh, and uh, and go from there. So that's that's the best I can do is to save you money is just use the stuff you've got and rub it on there and see if it works. How's okay. that? All right. Thank you very much. All right. Good to talk to you. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six seven six seven two seven four six four. I've only said that ten million times and still get it wrong. Uh, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. I'm a professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is Southern Remedy. It's a doctor call-in show, uh, and this is the, the we have it every day of the week now from eleven to twelve. And this is the middle-of-the-week program where we take all calls and usually don't have a guest. It's just you and me and our producer and phone screener, and we want to answer your question uh, if you have one and try to steer you in the right direction on medical issues. So we have open lines and love to hear from you, and we're going to Pascagoula. Hey, Robert. Dr. Rick, hey. Thank you for your call. I hope you're well today. Thanks for taking my call. It's my pleasure. Uh, just probably a simple question, and I probably know the answer, but I'm just checking. I've been getting my flu shot regularly for about 20 years. I'm 66. 
never had anything the next day and got it yesterday and today i wake up in a slight fever and aching a bit is that uncommon uh it is it is uncommon but it certainly occurs do you have a lump where you got your flu shot no sir uh huh. So, so you don't have anything else going on other than just fatigue and a fever. That's right. Uh huh. And it's not high, but yeah. Well, more likely than not, it is a reaction to your flu shot because things that happen together uh, in time usually are associated. However, it could be something else. You're not having any cold symptoms, right? No, sir. So more likely than not, it is the flu shot. Some people uh, do get a. Re- Did you get the double dose? Uh, I asked the person at the pharmacy, mm-hmm. and she said she thought it was not. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure she knew for sure. Uh, well, if uh, they they're usually for if you're 65, did you say you're 64, or 65? 66. Well, okay, they should have offered it to you. Yeah, um, yes. that's the one that causes more problems than the other ones, but it's still the one that I recommend. So let me yes, just sir. tell you what I do. I take some Tylenol, drink a lot of fluids, and it should be gone in 24 hours. That's what, my son, that's what my son said to Well, he was absolutely right, and you need to, uh, to make sure you don't have to pay for him to go to medical school because he's already got it right. All right. I just want to say one more thing. I have a great doctor in Pascagoula who just moved down here and said he had an association with you. I'm not going to say names or anything. Right. But I said you're great, and I, we listen to you as much as we can. Well, thanks a lot. My job uh, up here for many years has been to uh, – have the honor of uh, teaching medical students and residents and fellows, and they're all of the state, and they are a real group of friends. So I'm glad you got one of them. He'll this do you right. Young, great young man, great young doctor, and he thinks a lot of you. So. Right. Well, that's I'm sure that's mutual. Thanks a million for your call. Yes, sir. We have an open line. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send us an email at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Tupelo. And talk to Lee. Hey, Lee. Uh, good morning, sir. Or afternoon, I guess it is now. Well, whatever it is, we're glad to have your call. Uh, yeah, my question is about sweating at night, night sweats, I guess you would call them. Uh, I can wake up at about 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, which is about an hour before my normal wake-up time, and uh, my bed is ringing, soaking wet. Uh-huh. How long has this been going on? Uh couple of years now off and on it's not every night but but i mean it's quite often mm-hmm. and uh do you um are you overweight uh, a little bit not terribly i mean i'm, I'm like 180 or no 160 pounds uh, has anybody on. told you that you snore no no i've never been said i snore okay so uh night sweats uh are an alarm sign for anyone that gets them the most common cause, so this is going to have to be evaluated, and let me give you a little background on uh, what I, I think would be the best, best way to get to the heart of the problem. Number one, <clears throat> the most common cause of night sweats is obstructive sleep apnea, and what happens is in, uh, uh, in some people, especially people who are overweight, uh, but it can occur in people like me who are not overweight, uh, the the uvula in the back of your throat and the palate f- gets floppy. You know, as you get older, everything goes south. Everything gets loosened up and flabby. So uh, it gets flabby, and when you lay down, it plops in the back of your throat and blocks your airway, and uh, you start snoring loudly because it vibrates, and you have intermittent inability to get air into your lungs. And when that happens, your body releases adrenaline, which makes your heart beat real fast, makes you sweat, and makes you wake up if you're lucky. And um, it usually, and sometimes people are such heavy sleepers, they don't wake up uh, enough to remember it. So that is one, uh, and I hope I hope that's it. There are a number of other causes that are either infectious or malignant. And the infectious ones are usually chronic infections like uh, tuberculosis or chronic sinusitis. That's unusual, but tuberculosis and, and the like. And the other ones are uh, certain uh, cancers like lymphomas, which are tumors of the uh, lymph nodes. 
And it's very important to get those uh, diagnosed early because they are all treatable now, and some of them are curable. And if you wait until they're out of control, then you got troubles. So that is uh, that. I'm so glad you call. That is an alarm sign. You need to go to a specialist. Uh, uh, I would start in uh, with a primary care doctor, probably an internist, internal medicine specialist, uh, and uh, get that uh, who deals with uh, people with chronic illnesses and get a workup for that. And I think you'll find out very quickly. He may he or she may want to send you to a sleep doctor. Uh, uh, to look at your sleep situation or give you some instructions, put a pulse ox, a home pulse oximeter to measure your oxygen levels during sleep because they drop uh, when you have sleep apnea. So there's some simple ways to screen for that and get some basic uh, lab work. But most importantly, feel your lymph nodes, your liver, and the spleen, and you'll get an answer very quickly because uh, this usually is fairly easy to diagnose. Is that helpful? Yeah, so in other words, it sounds like I need to get to a doctor pretty quick. I would not wait. I would, uh, I would, I would go and have a physical examination, lab work, and, uh, and if you don't get an answer, I'd get a second opinion because something's causing this. You don't just have this. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it's profuse sweating. Literally, my bed is dripping wet. I can't even I can't lay back down because it's just it's it's like somebody took a water hose and just drowsed my bed. I'm um, I'm sorry. So if you don't get it fixed, uh, and you got great doctors in Tupelo, so you're going to find somebody there that can help you sort this out. Uh, and uh, so I hope that's helpful. Okay. Excellent. Sounds good. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you for your call. Let's go to Kepra County. Hey, Wayne. Wayne, you with us? I don't know where Wayne. Uh, Wayne, are you uh, there? Hello? Hey, Wayne. Yes, I'm here. Is Kepra County where that uh, plan is? It's running up our light bills. Uh, yes, it is, and I didn't have anything to do with that. Well, that's, I was <laughs> I was hoping that you did because I wanted to unload on you. But uh, okay, okay, okay. So uh, you don't work for those people, huh? No, I don't. I'm retired. Okay, you're a lucky guy. <laughs> I hope that you'll get cheaper power because you're near the place that's supposed to be making it. Yeah, well, I'm not looking for that anytime soon. <laughs> Me neither. So what's your question? Okay, this is about a flu, vac- uh, flu vaccine. Uh-huh. And as I understand it, that the vaccine consists of inactive uh, flu viruses. Right. There's two kinds, the killed virus. They took the live virus off the market. That was the one that you squared up your nose because it didn't work. The killed one, and there is a uh, one that is made in a test tube now as well. That, uh, but they're 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 not live anymore. Hmm? Okay, now yeah, my question is, is I have MS. Yeah. And I discovered years ago that when I get a flu infection, I mean, it just knocks me down. Mm-hmm. I can't even lift a leg. Uh, and I was one, and I've avoided flu vaccines for that reason, mm-hmm. uh, fearing that some of the flu-like symptoms uh, uh, may cause problems for me. Now, is it okay for an MS patient uh, to take these vaccines? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Because I should have covered that. There are people with certain autoimmune conditions like lupus, uh, multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, and so forth, that we are very cautious in giving them to them. We, We pretty much give all people with rheumatoid arthritis the flu vaccines. People with lupus, where it's well-controlled, we pretty much give all of those. The neurologic diseases uh, uh, are a different issue because multiple sclerosis is probably uh, uh, an, uh, uh, an immune response to a virus, and like the flu virus. And sometimes in some people, it can activate the symptomatology. It sounds like you may be one of those. My recommendation on that is to talk to your neurologist. I know you must be seeing one with MS, uh, and get his or her uh, input on it, because I would not take one without uh, consulting my neurologist and getting their experience 
uh, with it and they're being available if you get a febrile illness or something after it. That's probably not what you wanted, but that's what I would do. You do have a neurologist, right? Wayne, you still there? Yes, I'm here. You have Uh, a neurologist? Yes, I do, and I will speak to him, and I just needed that information he just gave me to keep my wife from dragging me down to Walgreens and shooting me up. I got you. Well, let me tell you my wife's story. My wife uh, has been telling me for years that I had a hearing problem, and I told her, no, I didn't. You do. So uh, after uh, you know going back and forth over this for years— uh, she finally got a hearing uh, uh, test, and well, the deal was she would go get a hearing test if I got one. So she finally got one, and for sure she was hard of hearing, and now she's got hearing aids. So then I had to go get a hearing test, and of course I had planned to have a normal one. Well, mine was abnormal too. So now I've got to get hearing aids. So, uh, you know, you got to be careful with all these instru- <laughs> instructions you get from different people. But do make her go get hers. So thanks for your call. Let's go next to Senatobia and talk to Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey, how are you doing? Great. You know, I hear about Senatobia all the time, and I, I'm not sure I've ever been there. Is that south of Jackson? No, sir. That's um, it, it's right there, up at the top, about ten, fifteen miles below uh, South Haven. I'll be dog. Well, you know, I I didn't do real well in geography, and it shows. <laughs> so, what do y'all do up there? Oh, well, I I do plumbing myself. Uh huh. So it's a is it a sort of a residential? A lot of people live in Memphis and commute, or what's the deal? Uh no, sir. Well, we're a little bit. A little bit south of all the people that uh-huh. to Memphis. So it's just uh, a community with farms and stuff like that around there, huh? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, we I love plumbers, except when I need one. <laughs> <laughs> What's your question? Well, about a week ago, my son started getting what I thought was just kind of some kind of sinus infection. Uh-huh. He had sore throat, runny nose. Uh, he was coughing up mucus and phlegm and things like that. And about three days after he started showing all those symptoms, I started getting the same symptoms. Mm -hmm. And I've never had sinus problems. I don't get sick. I guess I have a pretty good immune system. And I was having a sore throat, not all the time, only when I would swallow. Mm -hmm. And I was having real bad ear pain mm-hmm. anytime I would swallow or yawn or something like that. And then about three days later, my daughter is starting to show the same symptoms. I didn't think something like a sinus infection would be contagious. So I was just seeing if, if it might be something more than sinus problems. Okay. Well, let me, uh, let me talk to you a little bit about that. The sinuses are holes in our head. Uh, nobody knows why we have them. They may be there to warm air uh, that protects our lungs and protect our lungs from stuff that we breathe in because some of it's caught up in there and sort of uh, – uh, the other thing is, my theory is, is that we have those big holes in our heads where we can move our head quickly enough to keep people from shooting us or shooting arrows at us, and it's a survival thing that those of us who had light heads survived the Middle Ages where everybody was trying to kill each other. Well, not that we're not trying to do it now. Anyway, we don't know why you have those, but they are connected. The sinuses are connected to the back of your nose and uh, in a place called the osteomedal complex. As a plumber, you would love this. It's a bunch of little tubes that come out of the sinuses that are behind your forehead and around your eyes. These little tubes come into this little pocket and all drain, and that's called the osteomedal complex. And when you have an upper respiratory tract infection, a viral infection, which is probably going around in your family, that inflames the lining of your uh, nose, and that particular 
a little complex gets obstructed. And any time in the human body when you have an open space uh, like a sinus or, uh, you know, any organ, uh, gets blo- the drainage gets blocked up, it gets infected. And, and that sounds like what's happened. Now, with sinuses associated with colds, more often than not, you can wash your sinuses, your nose out with warm salt water with one of these little squeegee apparatuses like a Neal Med, which is over-the-counter at any drugstore, and open that up without having to take antibiotics. If you, if you don't get it open quick enough, uh, when you lay down at night, the mucus drains out of your lungs, and then you may have a secondary a bronchitis, which it also sounds like is going around. So, and that may be a bacterial bronchitis. So, um, did your uh, did you take the first uh, victim to the pediatrician? Yes, sir. And uh, he told us it was just a regular cold uh-huh. going around. Uh huh. And didn't put him on antibiotics. He did not. God bless him. And he's better now, right? Yes, sir. He's he's getting over it now. Now what? Okay, he's getting over it now. I got you. Yes. So my my uh, uh, my recommendation for your wife is to do the usual things that you do when you're about to get a cold, and that is get extra rest, drink lots of fluids. Uh, if she has nasal symptoms, I'd send her to the dr- drugstore and get one of these nasal lavage kits that costs less than ten dollars, and they have a little salt wa- salt. You have to put the salt in the water and we recommend that you use distilled water which is 98 cents a gallon uh, at the drugstore and you fill this little squeegee up with it with the water and the salt and instructions are in there and you gently wash your nose out and keep it clear if there's any mucus it washes it out and that's usually the end of it if symptoms are protracted they go on for more than a week or so then uh, or if you have high fevers, then you need to see a physician. And I hope that helped. And uh, uh, as a compliment to uh, you as a plumber, there'll be no charge for this information. Thanks for your call. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> all right. Bye. Uh, you're listening to Dr. Rick on Southern Remedy. It's all things considered, and we're taking as many calls as we can, as fast as we can. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. listening for your call and trying to help. And we have one email. This is from Sally. Um, Sally says, flu season lasts a long time. It's better to wait until mid to late October to get a flu shot, so it'll provide protection deeper in the flu uh, season. Are there any recommendations that would get the we should get the flu shot in September as a second shot? You know what? I think you're absolutely right. I think we ought to get one flu shot uh, real early, uh, say in August or September, and we ought to get a booster shot with the same vaccine later. But it's hard enough to get people to get one flu shot, so I don't think it'll ever happen. But I think your idea is a good one. It needs to be. Uh, clinical trial needs to be done to see uh, if it increases the adverse effects or stuff like that. Let's go to Columbus and Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey. I do know Columbus. I have been in Columbus, and I love Columbus. Yeah. Every week somebody calls in from Columbus, and I love them up. Yeah, big big uh, on MPB in Columbus. Yeah, yeah. What's your, what's your uh, deal? I was wondering, besides constipation, are there any other adverse effects on the GI tract with chronic opioid use? I don't know of any. A constipation is the only one that I'm aware of, uh, and uh, it can be very, very troubling uh, with it and end up with hemorrhoids and all kinds of other problems. Uh, so that's... Uh, a lot of people get nauseated with opioids, that's for sure. So that's a GI effect. And uh, some people who are on chronic opioids actually lose weight because they're chronically nauseated. But other than nausea and uh, I don't know of any other one than constipation, I'll look it up. Why? Have you got a problem that way? Because there's drugs that get rid of it. Well, no, you know, with the growing opioid epidemic, I, I, I work in healthcare in Columbus, and we've we've seen patients who come in with colitis, and the GI guys are calling this, you know, opioid induced colitis, and they don't know the mechanism, and 
Really? I'm not sure if they know anybody does. I've never uh, heard of it. I'll look it up. I didn't either until recently. And that's, that's why I was, well, we were with the residents the other day asking the GI guys, and they, were, they didn't know the answer either. So. Okay. Uh, it doesn't come up on my search, so if they've got a bunch of cases, let's write it up and get it out there. Okay? Yeah. All right. Yeah, appreciate you Thanks for your call. Hmm. There are a lot of reasons not to take opioids. Maybe they came up with another one. I don't know. Uh, we've got another call. We'd love to have your call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Hey, Wayne, what's going on in Tishomingo? Hey there, Dr. Rick. Um, I got a little problem, another, another one of those skin problems. And what, the, what it is is I've got these uh, things that look hurt at all. It's just the skin is peeling off. Mm-hmm. And there's many, 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 many of them. Uh, about a year ago, it, this thing first started. And it just started on a finger or something like that. And I didn't think anything of it. But just recently, it's turned pretty bad where both of my hands mm-hmm. are like covered with these. Um, little blisters. Stores. Little blisters. Well, they're not even blisters. Where are they? Uh, well, they're, they're just open. It's just the skin is peeling off. Uh-huh. You know, and, in, and in circles, you know, in, in um, well, not exactly circles. Does it itch? No. Okay. More likely than not, this is what's called dishydrotic eczema. Eczema is a garbage can term for the skin being unhappy. And uh, usually, the most common cause of uh, dishydrosis uh, is uh, unknown. We don't know what the cause of it. The fact that you don't have any itching is unusual because most people do have this. Uh, do have itching with it, and uh, so that's that's a little bit of a curve, uh, but you can have it without a lot of itching, and uh, and most of the itching is made worse when you scratch it. Uh, you don't have it anywhere else, right? Nowhere else, just the hand. So I think it's probably uh, some variant of hand eczema. I think it's probably dyshydrosis. It could be contact dermatitis that you're allergic to something that you're coming in contact with. But usually uh, contact dermatitis is fairly unusual on the hands. But if you get into poison ivy, poison oak, stuff like that, sometimes uh, it can be a problem. Now, if you don't have any uh, uh, held over topical steroids in your um, in your closet there, which we keep telling people to throw them away, but sometimes they don't, and sometimes we use them, um, uh, I would suggest you get some one percent hydrocodone ointment, rub it all over the areas that are involved, and then wear a uh, glove, not a rubber glove. Uh, at night for three or four nights and see if that doesn't work and then you can use it uh, uh, chronically and if it doesn't get better you gotta go see a dermatologist for that that problem and if you want some information on that i have a handout so give me a drop me a note hey it's been great being with you here on southern remedy i'm dr rick DeShazo. our producer is jay white and our call man is Jared Hallman. We hope to be back same place, same time next week. And appreciate your listening and appreciate your call. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, uh, supported by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.